What's up, everyone, and welcome to Making the Shift. We're an SLP couple from California with three boys and a passion for finding better ways to support autistic kids. I'm Chris. You might know me as Speech Dude. I'm a neurodivergent high school SLP and the creator of the dynamic assessment of social-emotional learning, and I specialize in crafting neurodiversity-affirming IEPs through my online course. And I'm Jesse, a sensory integration trained SLP, owner of a top rated clinic in Los Angeles, and the creator of the Inside Out Sensory Communication Programs for Parents and Therapists. Join us weekly to learn neurodiversity affirming ways to support social emotional development and regulation in autistic kids. Are you ready to make the shift? Let's do it. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Making the Shift with the hostess is Chris and Jesse. (laughs) We are here. We're going to make this episode a quick fire episode because we feel like it's valuable content that can shift perspectives. And we're going to come at you with some simple ways of thinking about it in a short amount of time. So um, we're going to jump right into this topic of functioning labels. We are going to be talking all about why we should stop using functioning labels and what you can do instead. And first of all, we'll let you know what we mean when we say functioning labels. We are referring to when talking about autistic kids. Historically, we've used a lot of terms like this child is low functioning, this child is high functioning, this child is mildly autistic, this child is severely autistic. So we want to talk to you about why we shouldn't be using language like that and some easy ways to change the way that you talk about your kids to use more respectful language. Absolutely. So first of all, let's talk about the problem with functioning labels in general. There's a lot of problems, but one of the foundational issues is that when we say a child is either low or high functioning or severe or mild, it implies that autism is a linear scale. It is a scale of how autistic is a child, a little bit autistic or really autistic. And we know that that's just not how autism works. It is not a linear scale. There are many, many things that make up our brain and our bodies. And it's not just so black and white as to say a child is on one end or the other end. So that kind of puts this idea in our head of the this linear scale being like a straight line, but the spectrum of autism really you could think about looks more like a circle with lots of different skills and abilities within that circle, which we'll touch on. Yeah, and to follow up on that, um, I do think that historically that has been that thought, you know, a linear scale of a low end of the scale or high end of the spectrum, I should say, low end of the spectrum, high end of the spectrum. And so if you've used this terminology or you've heard it, that's okay. You know, we're all learning. And so um, this is just an educational piece. So um, we can make a shift in language because when we make a shift in language, we can make a shift in our thoughts, which make a shift in our approaches and our report writing and our goal writing and our therapy approaches and um, providing the right supports and accommodations. Yeah. And that's really what it's about. It's about how how can we talk about our kids in a more respectful way? Because when we use this type of language, it does dictate the way that we perceive kids. When we talk about kids in a certain way, it's going to change the way other people think about that child. It's going to change the way the child perceives themselves. So our words have a really big impact. 
So let's first talk about the problem with the term low functioning. We're going to dive into that profound autism, low severe. functioning, right? Severe. Oh man. I just saw last night I was on TikTok and there was a guy who had, he was playing piano to his brother and who was autistic. And he said, me playing piano for my severely autistic brother or something. And like, I was like, gosh, is this a place where I should chime in and say, we don't say that, but all the comments were so supportive. You know, they were all like, he loves you. This is so beautiful. Cause it was a beautiful moment. It was just like, now that you, I, when you know that you're not supposed to use those words or like how hurtful they are, it's like, you can't turn it off. Well, and so what we're going to do is we're going to give you some alternative ways and suggestions on, um, even if we need to make a comment on how we can do it in a um, fashionable way. Yeah. So <laughs> I think respectful that the, the big problem, which it, it feels pretty obvious, but with using the term low functioning is that it's hurtful. Well, that it's and offensive. it also implies that an individual can't think for themselves and they can't, you know, do much because the term severely or low functioning implies and right. that's just not the case. Right. So it implies that they're not thinking for themselves. It implies that they don't understand. It implies that they may never develop language or communication. It does not presume competence. And we know how important it is to presume competence and working with our kids or else we'll never set goals for them to have them achieve if we don't believe in our in our hearts that they're going to be able to do those things. Right. You'll oftentimes, but not always, hear um, that that term is described when the person's non-speaking mm -hmm. but we know that there are a large community of AAC users that are non-speaking that um that are autistic and that they um thrive just as much as anyone else and so right. um, the other thing yeah communicate in a different way it's an alternative modes of communicating the other thing too is that there has historically been a mark on iq testing if it was anything lower than 50 then they would get that um, functioning label low functioning right but it's not considering the different tests the tests are normed on neurotypicals there's no supports visually on some of these tests they're just not a fair way of measuring things and they also don't consider that autism at times runs comorbid with other disabilities, such as intellectual disability, such as Down syndrome, such as just a variety of things, right? So it doesn't take any of that to, into consideration as well. So what we can say instead of low functioning or severe or profound are a few things. So one, instead, you can describe the level of support that the child needs so you can say they require a high level of support with X, Y, and Z. So some things to think about are things like how does the child do with their communication, social interaction, emotional regulation, sensory regulation, motor planning, executive functioning, cognitive skills. I mean, there's so many things we could think about. So we might say, you know, this child requires a high level of support with their communication. Right. Yeah. We can say that this is um, an individual who needs more support um, with multimodal communication, use of an assistive technology device. They might need some more supports when it comes to loud noises, bright lights, 
They might need some supports on advocating for certain needs. They might need um, a variety of supports with whatever it might be. You, you literally will get so much more information in a report and to a team when we can describe it. And it's definitely, as Jesse mentioned, more respectful. Right. But that's the point is that when we are just saying, oh, he's low functioning, that's not telling us anything about the kid. It's not telling us anything about the kind of support that the child would benefit from. It's so much more beneficial for us to be able to describe the child, describe the areas they need support in, describe the things that are strengths for them, because that is giving ultimately so much more information, valuable information to the people who need that information. The presuming competence one is huge. Like you hit the nail on the head with that hammer because in IEP meetings, you know, when you hear, um, oh, that student's low functioning, what it does is it sets up what the goals are or the curriculum or a mindset. And usually um, it doesn't really provide opportunities because it doesn't presume competence when we use language like that. So that's the alternative way. That would be a good strategy if like on social media it would be like, hey, you know, um, it might be more effective too. And then X, Y, and Z. Yeah. You know, so we're doing it in a, in a peaceful and respectable and cordial way. So let's talk about the the term high functioning. And that I was just thinking about, I told you about this time. I was at this it was like a conference. So it was just people I was kind of acquaintances with. No one I was super close with. I was at a dinner with some women that I had met that day at the conference. And I was telling one of them about my work. And she said, oh, my cousin's kid is autistic. He's high functioning though. And it was one of those moments where I paused in my head and I'm like, do I go into this now? Like, is this appropriate? I don't really know her. Am I going to offend her? And then I was like, you know what, whatever, I am not doing my job if I don't say something, right? So I very politely said, oh, you know what, we actually don't use the term high functioning anymore. Um, And she said, well, what else do you want me to say? Like he is in a regular classroom. He has trouble making friends. He has trouble, you know, with his emotions. And I was like, yes, exactly. Like, that's exactly what you can tell me. You can just describe him instead of saying he's high functioning. So. Yep. Yeah. Because when we say high functioning, what it does is it implies the person doesn't need any supports and they usually won't get the services that are needed. And think about that level of discussion at the IEP table even, um, which would be the individual describing the student as high functioning, that's going to make everybody assume, hey, this person doesn't need sensory accommodations in class. This person doesn't need to have um, self-advocacy goals, or this person doesn't need X, Y, and Z, whatever it is, you list out whatever those uh, areas of challenge and need are, right? So um, just as Jesse had described using um, and just describing, you know, the, the strengths, of course, but describing areas that the person might need supports. And so they receive those supports. I think that's a really uh, big insight to that, and right? The, and the other thing to consider is what that does emotionally to a person when we label them as high, high functioning Um, I was just reading, I was like deep in discussion boards in an autistic community where people were saying like, it doesn't, 
when someone says I'm high functioning, it just makes me feel like I should be doing better than I'm doing. Like, I feel like I'm drowning every day. Why is everyone telling me I'm doing so, so great, you know? And it's like not acknowledging the fact that there are struggles in day-to-day life. So, yeah. So um, when it comes to autism, and that's what I wanted to say too, there's two points I wanted to make there. This usually, this labeling, this functioning label is usually just aligned or goes along with autism, but I couldn't imagine for a non-autistic person where you would go in the community and say, oh, that guy right there, yeah, it was high functioning. Like you just don't do that. That's not respectful language. The mm-hmm. second thing that I wanted to add to that, um, which um, I am drawing a blank now, but it was something to do it with- was on the emotional um, mental well-being. Oh, I was going to say, there's no, it's not, there's no such thing as a little autistic or a lot autistic, right? Someone either has that neurotype or they don't have that neurotype, right? You're either autistic or you're not autistic. That is kind of how it is. It's not like that person just got a little bit. It, it, and it's in. I can tell you that the uh, the autistic community um, is advocating for these changes as well. Matter of fact, one of the largest organizations that I know with um, autistic advocacy, it's called uh, um, Autistic Self Advocacy Network. So ASAN, A-S-A-N, they have a website. They um, have a, a blog on this particular topic as well. So that's also a good resource if you need a resource. And that's what we have for you for this episode. We hope that you gained some insight and some knowledge. Yeah, hope we got you some facts to take take home, take to work, and yeah, be able to right train there. others with. So thanks so much for being here. Until next time, you guys, thanks for t- chiming in. Make sure to give us a good review if you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't, then skip that part. <laughs> Talk to you next time. Bye. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.